The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. All right, let's get into it. The culture clash. You know, we had a, a taste of it, a foretaste of it with Lou Skeezus, where we were talking about, you know, this guy, uh, Mohammed Fahmy, the Egyptian Canadian journalist who was given seven years in an Egyptian prison yesterday because uh, he ran afoul of the current government, the LCC government. So we'll, we'll pick up on that and sort of dovetail with what you've just heard, but our panel has assembled. Justin Trache is a spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, John. And Dr. Scott Masson, Associate Pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto. Good morning to you, Scott. Morning, John. Good morning, hey, Let me start with you, Justin. I mean, here's the deal. Uh, if this guy's got dual citizenship, and uh, some people are claiming, you know, he's as much an activist as he is a journalist, and he's in this, you know, place that's sort of uh, suspending certain aspects of the rule of law as we've come to know it, freedom of expression, you know, certain civil liberties we take for granted. And uh, he's, you know, working for an outfit, Al Jazeera English. Uh, he's the Cairo bureau chief. And they feel like, uh, well, they're sympathetic with the Muslim Brotherhood, which has been outlawed as a terrorist group. Mm-hmm. He's crossing a line, according to the government. So they're not showing him any sympathy. The Canadian government now uh, has maybe not taken a forceful enough position on this, not to uh, many people's likings. The Globe and Mail has uh, a couple of editorials this morning suggesting that, you know, journalism, it's a dark day for journalism, and Canada's dropping the ball. But, you know, people have uh, brought up the fact that he may be as much an activist as a journalist, and he does have dual citizenship. So what's your take on this? Should Canada really go to the wall for Mohammed Fahmy in Egypt? I think those of us who value fundamental freedoms like the freedom that journalists enjoy to report on the news, which they enjoy only in some countries, in, in, in fewer and fewer countries uh, as we go, I think that uh, everybody should be concerned about these kinds of attacks. I haven't really seen a lot of evidence uh, in this case, but there doesn't seem to be a lot to suggest that he was an activist or a member of the Muslim Brotherhood or giving cover to the Muslim Brotherhood. It looks like he was a journalist, a dual citizen of Canada and Egypt, who was covering these protests, who was sort of in the wrong place at the wrong time, maybe sort of should have known better. But in terms of his fundamental rights, if we do believe in those fundamental freedoms, if we think that, you know, that's really what the Arab Spring should have been about, that's what we should be fighting for in in the Middle East, then I think we do have to support these individuals, yes. All right, if he's critical of the government or the regime or the junta or whatever the case may be, Scott, uh, does that then obligate Canada to go to bat for him? Or he crossed a line in their country, he's also a dual citizenship, dual citizen with their passport as much as ours. Uh, Mm. Where do we play in this equation, if at all? Well... I mean, I'm in, I have to say to some degree in agreement with uh, Justin here on the issue of freedom of speech and how that ought to be defended worldwide. I think the particular angle on this, which is uh, giving rise to the, I heard your caller earlier, is that he's a Canadian citizen. It seems to me if a Canadian citizen is in, this, is in the country where he has another citizenship, uh, it's absurd to invoke the, the second citizenship to get him like a parachute. That seems to me absurd. If he carries the Egyptian passport and he's in Egypt, 
then he places himself under the rule of law in Egypt, and he can't just defer to another country's law on that. So that seems to me a little bit more clear-cut, and it's not as uh, as if this man were not being uh, treated uh, in accordance with Egyptian law. Now, whether Egyptian law is something that Canadians are going to object to or uh, standards of free speech, well, once again, he has chosen to operate under that uh, regime in that place, and I think he should be treated as such like any other journalist, and we should be concerned about that. But on the other hand, if there is a suggestion that he has connections, and just, neither Justin and I know about this, I, I don't, connections with uh, some sort of radical... Uh, or even if then, they're not connections that are borne out with the yeah, evidence, as yeah. I've been told, because we don't really know the full... But uh, if he's critical of the current regime, I mean, yeah. like you were in uh, Argentina, you know, if you're in Argentina right. during the time of, you know, their military junta, you said something, I mean, you're disappeared. You know, I mean, right. you could say the same thing, you know, uh, in Russia now, some journalists are really taking heat, you know, for being critical of Putin. I mean, if we have Canadian journalists who are going over and doing that, and, uh, you know, maybe at best we can hope they're drummed out of the country, because, you know, they can play hardball. And uh, mm -hmm. is that their prerogative, or do we need to emphatically stand up and say, well, you guys have to see it in our way. Uh, mm -hmm. We have freedom of expression, the right to freedom of a, a free press, uh, do we then try to impress that upon them in the most forceful manner that we can? I think it's a balancing act. I mean, we don't want to put our Canadian journalists in harm's way. I don't think the government should be uh, encouraging our journalists to go cover these stories. These are important, you know, global news that we need to uh, that we need to be reporting on, and um, uh, and you know, put your put your life at risk to, to do that job. That's up to each journalist to make mm -hmm. that that very personal individual decision. But if they do decide to do that, I think journalism can be a noble calling. I think it is an absolutely uh, you know imperative profession and it has changed the world some some great reporting from war zones and other dangerous places and so there is i think a role for the canadian government when journalists take that risk upon themselves and end up in these these horrible situations to then come in and offer some basic protection some basic diplomatic uh, support all well, right uh, because he's a canadian citizen or just because he's a journalist well i think we do have a higher sort of obligation, responsibility in this particular case. As far as I understand, yeah, I he actually either. grew up in Canada. His parents moved when he was a, ch a young child in, in the early 90s, and he spent most of his life in Canada. So I don't know, okay. technically he is a dual citizen, yes, but in terms of where his loyalties lie, if that's you know really the issue, he, he did grow up in this country. Yes, and he moved to Egypt, and he works and operates there, and he has an Egyptian passport again. So I, I, I think... Uh I don't think it's as clear-cut as all that. So, so what you're saying, it may disqualify him from full-on consideration of the Canadian government and to, uh, you know, go to bad for him, go to the wall for him. I, I, I feel that way. On the other hand, I, I think that these are, you don't want to be caught in this situation where you have to make prudential judgments on this. There ought to be a sense of if you carry a passport, it has certain backing, right? If they think mm -hmm. that this is a compromise and issue, then maybe they ought to seek to remove dual citizenship on... Well, I guess that's another tip, issue, right? too. But that's, that, that they, that, then they need to follow that policy. So dual right? citizenship might just be... It complicates things, it for complicates sure. It complicates things. Yeah. All right. Well, here's another complex story where we've got World Pride uh, Day or week coming... Uh, we're in the midst of it now, and uh, my uh, spies tell me that there are LGBT refugees in Toronto. And when we say refugees, you know, uh, in their own countries that aren't really as liberal as ours by any stretch, these people are persecuted. So do we accept these folks based on the fact that they'd be persecuted and are persecuted back in their own countries? Is uh, like gay persecution now grounds for uh, claiming legitimate refugee status? Scott Masson? Well, uh, the issue of persecution as a, as a as a standing for refugee status is is well documented. It seems to me the issue here is is uh, 
politicized and, quite frankly, absurdly politicized in the direction of the gay lobby group. And I see this as, as quite frankly, the front of, of the cultural Marxists which have been seeking to destabilize Western civilization for the past 50-odd years, presenting the gays as a sort of disadvantaged, uh, persecuted minority. And, and this is because, again, Marxism failed, um, and they sought to uh, pr- uh, promote Marxism rather softly through the long march through the institutions, to use the phrase of Gramsci, and, and Herbert Marcuse included the gays in this. Now, the most persecuted glo- uh, group worldwide, as everyone acknowledges, are Christians. Is there a call for Christians to be afforded this sort of uh, encouragement and protection to come to Canada? No. No, it's the, gay, it's, a, it's the gays that are being focused on. Why is that the case? Why are the gays in particular uh, uh, cited as this terribly persecuted group? Um, it seems to me that because well, of the countries where it's illegal to be gay, because of the countries where you can actually be tortured, imprisoned and killed for your sexuality. There aren't I don't think any countries where uh, it is sort of officially sanctioned to persecute or, or jail Christians. I, yes, I'm not saying Christ, I'm not saying Christians are, are not subject to harassment and don't deserve refugee status. Do, I think they, they, they certainly do. And I think they do get that. But, you know, you're talking about political philosophy. I'm more concerned about cases of, for example, refugees coming from Uganda, where it's illegal to be gay. In a couple of instances of actual refugees who are now on Canadian soil, they were beaten. They were tortured by police for being gay. Why would you deny them the same protection that you want for Christians who undergo perhaps similar brutal treatment? Well, what I'm saying is that we're not hearing anything about the treatment of Christians, and we're hearing about a couple of people that we that happen to be popular and and, and fomenting the the. We have an office of religious on. freedom, which is pretty much targeted every year, spending millions of dollars looking at the plight of persecuted religious minorities. Well, we've talked Often about this. Christian I mean, it hasn't done anything minorities. at the moment, but I, the issue well, here... sponsored refugees, for example. The reason that there are laws on the books uh, against, uh, in, in countries worldwide, and I believe we, uh, there were something like 70 of them, is because uh, the uh, act of sodomy is considered an immoral act by most people, including in this country up until very recently. It's a fundamentally immoral act that undermines marriage, which is the f- fundamental... Uh, block of all civil societies, and everyone recognizes this, and so there is a reason why uh, countries regard this as an immoral act. So there is, in a sense, a justification for the criminal. Not sure that everybody recognizes any of that. What I think everybody does recognize is that it is immoral and barbaric to torture and imprison people because of their sexual orientation, and that's what a lot of these claimants are representing is cases of these barbaric kinds of treatment. All right, so what you're saying is as long as it's uh, you know a level playing field or there's equal consideration given to gays, Christians who might be persecuted in places Atheists, like perhaps. Pakistan, well, you know, uh, let's just uh, expand the list. I mean, are these all legitimate reasons to grant asylum to asylum seekers on that premise? You know, Christians in Sudan or uh, in a place like Pakistan, as I say, where, you know, uh, churches are being burned with people in them. In them. Uh, is this somewhere uh, we can actually take our refugee uh, umbrella and legitimately accord it to Absolutely. all these folks? And Absolutely. seven-year-old children being uh, raped and strung up in India and Pakistan and so forth for being Christian. And again, and this is happening in Africa, it's happening worldwide. And the numbers are... It's, are it's there's not a competition, ca- Scott. I mean, those no, who are it, in need of our protection should be afforded it. But my point is, why is this particular issue being brought to our attention as a, as a matter of this terrible injustice when the uh, the magnitude of the Christian persecution is not even brought to our attention? That's well, I my point. I disagree fundamentally with that. The fact is that refugee status has traditionally been afforded for reasons of religious persecution. It's only a new phenomenon 
that were more tolerant of sexual orientation issues. And so more recently, in the last 20 years or so, refugee status at the United Nations level, and including in Canada, has broadened to incorporate uh, well, you call it protections for, I call, for gays I call and lesbians. It the extension of uh, a cultural Marxist narrative to include groups that... Right, let's see right? folks agree that, you know, uh, gays being persecuted in other countries ought to be given refugee status, and uh, we'll find out what the Aussies are doing with some refugee or asylum seekers as well, and would you favor that policy in a moment with our panel. This is a culture clash, plain and simple. All right, back into it with the culture clash. Justin Trottier, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance, and Dr. Scott Mass, an associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto. We're talking about uh, asylum claims and whether or not, you know, uh, with the big world pride festivities, uh, there is maybe a likelihood some folks might claim if they got here uh, by hook or by crook that uh, they'd like to seek asylum in Canada given that they're persecuted in their own country wherever that may be, and uh, whatever the situation on the ground. And then we extended it to say, well, you know, what are the other legitimate grounds for persecution? Scott Masson suggesting Christians in places like, uh, I don't know, Pakistan, where they're, uh, it's not necessarily official government policy, but it seems to uh, see its uh, way into the news headlines, like this uh, Egyptian Christian story that just moved on the wire, sentenced to six years imprisonment for blasphemy and contempt of religion. In Luxor, this was the court's verdict today uh, after his arrest this month for posing, p- posting pictures deemed insulting to Islam. So, I mean, uh, does this right. guy get refugee status if he can make his way to Canada? Well, somebody thought so. Him? Well, that's just it. And, uh, well, this is why I don't think we should look at this as a zero-sum game. It's not like if we if we focus on the the plight of of Christians, we. We, we must ignore the plight of persecuted gays or atheists, for example. In Saudi Arabia, they just declared atheism to be akin to al-Qaeda. Basically, atheist organizations are the same as, as terrorist organizations. Yeah, but and in, atheists in Islam, have been rounded anything, up and, and put into jail but accordingly. But in Islam, anything that's not uh, Islam is considered atheism. And that's exactly right? my point, Scott, right? So when they take somebody in, and imprison them for blasphemy, they're likely to do that one day for Christians and the next day for atheists. It's the same fight. Right, so we so I don't see why we need to divide this anybody up. Anybody and everybody coming here seeking asylum uh, based on persecution should be considered seriously. Look, uh, you mentioned the atheism. Uh, mm-hmm. Ryan uh, sends me a note. An Afghan citizen has been granted asylum in the U.K. for religious reasons because he's an atheist. Mm-hmm. He fled to the U.K. from a conflict involving his family in Afghanistan in 07 at 16 and was allowed to stay in the U.K. until 2013, brought up a Muslim, but during his time in the U.K. became an atheist, and they say he'd face persecution if sent home. U.K. has granted him asylum. So to your point, Justin, you see this as a legitimate reason not to be sent back to a place where he'd be persecuted and perhaps even put to death for apostasy. If the fear of persecution is legitimate and if the consequences of that persecution would be the same as say, a, a Christian would face or a gay person would face, I don't see why the fact that it's an atheist is the important element there. Well, we're talking about atheism for some reason. I don't know why. The issue is, is whether it should be gays that are allowed asylum on this. And the question is, is the nature of what they do in a moral act? And if it is, then then countries are right to, to kill them? No, I'm not saying that, uh, or torture them. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that sanctions, which we consider to be unfair human rights abuses, are by many countries, I think, entirely leg- legitimately considered immoral acts, and as a consequence, there are legal consequences for wow. that. So in other words, I mean, uh, gays who would be jailed in Uganda, I mean, there have been worse, but I think they've softened their position. You're saying mm-hmm. that's their business, and we, any Ugandan gay who comes here for world pride and claims refugee status, we send them back. 
Oh, I would think so. And, and, and look, the point here is that the, the, the gay lifestyle is inherently unstable. It leads to all manner of, uh, of uh, venereal diseases. It's uh, known that the gay community is, is uh, uh, ad- to say, adulterous, is promis- promiscuous well beyond any other constituency. Even I mean, the straights, you, you would say? Oh, way beyond. Never, I mean, the studies oh. demonstrate this. I mean, a few years ago, a gay uh, uh, group, uh, we talked about this on the air, came forward, and they were complaining that the Ontario government didn't give them special status because everyone knew that they suffered more from illnesses and diseases and so forth. So they wanted okay, special Okay, so if in some standing. countries the cultural norms are that... Uh, being gay is is wrong. Gay should be should face consequences, and that, society, and that you're yes. okay with that. Then, on what grounds do you have a legitimate position to say that in Muslim countries, where their point of view is that it's immoral to be, say, Christian, it's wrong for them to persecute Christians? Well, Isn't not, that just their not, choice? Well, I'm not talking about, about your their, logic. I'm not talking about their actions. I'm con- I'm talking about whether we should consider them as refugees for that. That's a different issue entirely. Let me grab a call from Tom. Tom, we're listening. Go ahead. You're on the Oakley Show. Yeah, good morning. Uh, gentlemen, I think you're missing the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is controlling religion. Be you gay, be you Christian, be you nonconformist, it doesn't really matter. It's religion. And the problem with it is that if you don't play in their sandbox the way they want you to in whatever third world country we're arguing about, is that it's up to them, not you. Now, do I want people to be allowed to come to Canada over sexual orientation or anything like that? No, not really, because... I can't stand being around stupid people, and uh, who's going to take me in as a refugee? <laughs> All right, what you're saying then is uh, it's too arbitrary, uh, the grounds or uh, categories by which we would start to determine uh, legitimate asylum seekers. I yeah, get... I mean, it's, you've muddied the waters already with this. I mean, of course, there's, pro- there's a persecution of all kinds and all levels in all countries. Not so with death. That's a few countries, as we know. But let's, let's, let's be honest. It's a religious problem. It's the elephant nobody talks about. All right. You know, we've had women claimants who have said uh, if they're sent back home, their husbands will beat them, and uh, they've claimed refugee status as well. There have been cases of that as well. So I'm just wondering, is, to Tom's point, are we relaxing the grounds under which we uh, see uh, claimants as being legitimized? Here's another story out of Australia, where the government there is uh, offering asylum seekers at detention centers, so they're having the refugee claims, I guess, uh, validated. And like Canada, it takes several times, uh, it'll take several years. They're offering them up to $10,000 to abandon their hope of resettlement in Oz and to return to the country from which they fled. Uh, Well, no, I mean a cash incentive to get them off the rolls and, uh, you know, where it costs you considerably more to house and feed and uh, with the medical care and so on and so forth. Because, you know, sometimes the the claims will take, as I say, several years, even though we've tried to fast track them of late. Does this make any sense? Do you think we should offer similar incentives here in Canada, Justin? I'm just shocked, and I admit I, I'm, I'm ignorant of the details of this proposal. I can't imagine uh, where what the motives behind this were. Uh, if, if clear up the backlog, they're called return packages euphemistically. I don't, I don't see how packages. any kind of monetary incentive is going to make up for the uh, the kind of sacrifices that most, if not all, of these these refugee claimants make to simply leave the country that they're coming from and try to you well, know what resettle. If in what a if new they're country? actually bogus claimants? They're economized. Migrants just right. looking for a better life. You give them a, a pot of gold at the end of an immediate rainbow, and they leap at it. Oh, they're off your rolls. Now you're creating incentives to uh, yeah, exactly. create waves and waves of, uh, of bogus claimants. So. Well, I mean, yeah, but once they come and claim, like anybody in Canada, once they make the claim, the process kicks in. 
So if you can get a way of shortening that process, because hmm. somebody, yeah, I know, they game the system. Right. Let's uh, just be honest about the fact that we're being played by so- uh, suckers, international suckers, in some instances, I don't know to what degree, but Australia has met this full-on with these so-called return packages. Ten grand if you drop your claim and leave. I mean, Scott, do you think that has some merit? I think it's a silly policy. I, I, I just think it's going to do. It's going to have the exact opposite consequence to the one that it intends. If they're exactly. actually, as Justin said, are legitimately persecuted, they're not going to take to ten grand. Whereas if they they aren't, I mean, then it's just going to encourage more to come in for the ten grand. You know, I get to give a holiday to Australia and go back home <laughs> with with the money that'll come. All expenses paid. Yeah, it's great. All right. Well, uh, this is why they've enacted this thing. And uh, yes, it's got its critics, but other people see it as a fast track to cleaning up a backlog. Listen, we've got something else happening as far as uh, maybe immigration, uh, or at least that department, the temporary foreign workers. And uh, the laws were changed, or at least tweaked on Friday by Jason Kenney, the minister, where he said that uh, nannies and migrant farm workers would be exempt, except now it's in the pipeline. Somebody got a Freedom of Information uh, access request, and they find that the nanny program might also be endangered come 2015, but it's a political hot potato because the Filipino community might be outraged that many of their young women uh, who come here as in-home caregivers uh, might be sent back or not invited to come here and uh, bring their families with them, you know, the family reunification program. Do we think that the uh, in-home caregivers uh, status is something that we also have to address with temporary foreign workers? Do you think it's time to look at that seriously as well, Justin? I think it's time to overhaul the entire system. I'm really not sure about that particular aspect of it i i do think that there are services here that that we need to fill in canada and those individuals in that particular profession do fill that service but i think that the system the status quo had been rife with abuse and corruption and and it was time to overhaul but i'm not sure about that particular issue do you think there are enough uh domestic nannies waiting for those jobs and they're being shut out because there are people who are undercutting them as far as wages are concerned and no chance no chance No. no i don't think so um I mean, I don't have a nanny, but uh, I know enough Filipino nannies that uh, they are willing to work uh, and operate uh, in a way that is, quite frankly, an honorable way, which is why people are willing to employ them. They take the money and they send uh, over half of it back Mm -hmm. home to support their families. And uh, it's resulting in the economic uh, betterment of of the Philippines, Um, I think, uh, in particular. And I think the majority are actually Filipino nannies. It's almost like an industry there. Right. And I don't think you can find Canadians to do that work, quite frankly. All right. So they should leave well enough alone and allow for this. And and the family reunification programs are here for a couple of years on contract. Then they seek uh, landed immigrant status and bring their families over through citizenship. That's the right way to, uh, in fact, fast track them to citizenship and encourage more to come. Gosh, if people are going to work hard and be Mm -hmm. honest and and do what they do, if you're going to cut those people out, who aren't you going to cut out in terms of immigration? I I don't have a problem. So what do you think? There's a tinge of racism or xenophobia to this, wanting to put up a hurdle for Filipino nannies? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I know that a large number of Filipinos are Christians, so I don't want to play that card here. But, I mean, uh, that, uh, it's certainly the case that a large number of Filipinos are Christians, whether Catholic or, or Baptist often. So maybe that is there. I don't know. All if right. so, it would be weird for this government to bring it up, right? You would have thought it would be a Well, that's why uh, it was a freedom of uh, information request, because the government is playing this one close to the vest. Uh, somebody insists that this is also the next shoe to drop. 
and the government's just waiting to cross that 2015 federal election because there are large Filipino pockets in certain swing ridings. Hmm. This is the argument or the story presented in the globe this morning. Exit question, 10 seconds or less. Uh, The Redskins, they lost their patent protection with the U.S. Patent Office. They canceled six trademarks, the Washington Redskins. But now there's a group of legislators included, Redskins uh, Pride Caucus. They say this is overreach by the government. The government's got no business uh, getting involved in a private enterprise as it sees fit. Uh, And so do you see this as government overreach, Justin? I, I do think the name should be changed, but I think that's a voluntary decision on the part of, of the team or uh, the team owner. I don't think it's the role of government to legislate uh, morality in this way or political correctness in this way. All right. Even with such names, it might offend some sensibilities in Canada. Do you think the government has a role to play in changing that? No, so- it's absurd. It's cultural Marxism. It is political correctness gone wild. It is the state trying to legislate uh, morality. I don't see that the native community is up in arms over that. I mean, there's a a big divide there. Some may take offense at it, but quite frankly, the majority don't. And it's not meant pejoratively. I mean, it's not. I mean, you don't call your team something that you denigrate. You call the team something that you want to identify with. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a non-offense, which is made into an offense. All right, guys. Yeah. Good discussion this morning. Justin Trotche, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. And Dr. Scott Masson, associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.